Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back. And before we start, I'd like to take a second to shout out the network that helps distribute our show, Armchair Media. Armchair is a collection of over 50 podcasts, including ours, trying to localize the sports world a little bit more. We've been with them for about two years, and we've really enjoyed... Uh, working with them and growing our audience with theirs. Exciting news starting on June 1st. We're getting a, a title sponsor for Armchair. It's going to cover all the different podcasts. It is Bet Online. It's going to serve as the title sponsor for all of the Armchair shows. So we're very excited with that. And with NASCAR, UFC, and golf coming back, Bet Online has hundreds of games and events to bet on. You can They have live and simulated sports. And you can visit them at betonline.ag to check out their action. In addition, um, Armchair is serving as the host for the world's largest skateboarding podcast. So if you are a skateboarder, you've got to listen to this podcast. It's called The Nine Club. It's hosted by Chris Roberts and Kelly Hart, professional skaters. And they are going to talk about skating every week. So you got to check them out Um, to see things all things armchair check out armchair media search armchair media wherever you get your pods you can also check out armchair's website armchairmedianetwork.com and their social media channels at armchair media uva football is the softest bunch of cream puffs bow tie wearing brie cheese eating nascar wearing wussies i've ever seen in my life i want to punch people from uva right in the neck wear suits to games. <laughs> That's absurd. Hello everyone. We are back and it is summertime, I guess. It's like super hot out right now. Uh, it's been raining every day and i've got rob on the phone with me rob how are you doing i'm great man you know it's the unofficial start to summer memorial day weekend and uh you know happy to be on and happy to be on with another guest as well yeah so we we've brought on a friend he's he's been begging us to come on for ever since we started he uh he he's a good buddy of ours in who crew with rob and i at uva and uh his name is andrew benvenuto former Vice President of Who Crew. Andrew, how are you doing? Rob, Dustin, doing well. Uh, I think it is a little misleading to say I was I was begging to get on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I raised it as an idea. It sounded like you guys were super excited, so I was just following up. The the amount of know. times I think we, begging might be the appropriate. The way. amount of times we've I'm turned a- down Andrew has is countless. Countless times, I would say. 
I mean, this is almost like a pity invite at this point. <laughs> Just like chill out, dude. Come on the show. But but we brought Andrew on because he has a lot of um, interesting ideas about. Uh, we're gonna talk football today. We're gonna talk basketball today as well. So we got a two two main sports going on, and um, I'm excited because you know it seems like there's plans in place for sports to come back at least in some capacity, uh, starting in the fall. So. That's really exciting, and let's start with football because football comes first. Um, now, while sports may start at in some capacity in the fall, there's a high probability that there will be either limited fans or no fans or maybe even like limited practice time, and so we're going to discuss how does that affect our UVA team? How does that affect um, how they play, how they, how they practice, and I want to... Give it over to Andrew real quick. Andrew, what does having a possibly limited practice time do to our team? Yeah, so, Dustin, that's a that's a very good question. I think this might be a hot take, but I think, honestly, UVA is pretty well positioned uh, with limited practice time. I think Broncos established himself as a creative coach who can kind of adjust on the fly and when you kind of read the the updates that uh the daily progress and some other local charlottesville newspapers papers are saying all the players are just praising broncos ability to adjust as the time time goes and uh, in in a time of just immense uncertainty uh, i think we'll be we'll be well positioned relative to the other coaches uh, in the acc because bronco is just uh adjusting um each day and I mean I don't probably have a great feel for what our offense is going to look like this year but I am pretty excited because with the with the addition at quarterback I think we can run some interesting sets um so I think we're going to throw a lot of different things out there and uh, I'm just really excited to kind of see uh what Bronco puts together but initial reaction is UVA is going to be be well positioned Rob what's your take yeah, I agree 100%. I think this is something that benefits UVA. And I think the reason, you know, a big reason why it benefits UVA is because continuity in the coaching staff. You know, this coaching staff has been together for essentially four years. And, you know, the only subtraction this year is Vic Sohoto. We brought in Clint Sentum, who thankfully has been here and was here a couple months. Um, and he's been racking up know, the recruits. Before, before coronavirus hit. Yeah, it's been obviously you can see the momentum that UVA has had in recruiting. So I think it certainly gives an edge to UVA in the sense that the coaching staff is still together. And I think it also gives uh, an edge to UVA just because Bronco Mendenhall, you know, as Andrew kind of alluded to, you know, enjoys working under circumstances like this. You know, he it's kind of crazy, you know, in the college football coaching world, you know, he and the staff still don't work on Sundays. They still only work six days a week. They're used to working on, you know, in less time. And I'll never forget his introduction press conference. He was saying, you know, my goal is to work harder and smarter, do more and less time than anyone else in the country. And that's really their mindset. And you look at how the season is going to have to kick off. It's going to be exactly under those circumstances. Limited practice reps, you know, less time to be with the players and to design schemes. I think that's already an emphasis within this football culture that Bronco has built. So I think, you know, it's certainly not ideal for any school, but I think if you're saying does this hurt or help UVA relative to competition, I think it gives them a little bit of an edge. 
Yeah, I think I think that's an interesting point because like if if you're thinking about it that way, you know, having a great coaching staff is certainly a benefit during this time, but I also think it's really helpful when you've got talent. And so like if we're looking at a team like like Miami, for example, who who often brings in really good recruits but hasn't had the on-field success in a couple of years, I think that this actually helps a team like maybe a Miami or, um, you know, I think Miami is probably the best example. You could also look at Florida State. Those two teams bring in a lot of talent every year, but they don't always perform up to expectations. And I'm not saying that's a coaching challenge. I Both those programs have had coaching challenges recently. But I, I think that, you know, having talented players is also super important when talking about limited practice time. And, you know, it's concerning to me that we have a new quarterback in Brennan Armstrong. Now, he's not new to the system, but he's new to starting. And so what? how does that look in games when he has limited practice time working with his offensive line, working with his receivers, working with his running backs, and just the scheming of the offense? That's my main concern when looking at less practice time. Yeah, and I think you have the nail right on the head there. Is you know, it's not just Brendan Armstrong; it's the entire skill possession group. You know, you lose Joe Reed, you lose Cecil Dubois, you lose a Tanner Cowley. So, I mean, you're really talking about receivers, especially that really need to step up. You know, Terrell Jana had a good season last year, but he was pretty much every play. He was, you know, normally the third look. You know, he was normally the third receiver behind Reed and Dubois. So, how does he look like as a one? You know, can he be as productive playing the one going up against the top corner each and every week? Um, and then you look at receiver, it's the same thing, you know, is it Billy Kemp, is it a, uh, Tavares Kelly, Tom Tavian Wicks, are they ready to step up? But yeah, you know, you're right. And I say it gives UVA an advantage because of the coaching staff continuity, but it's not just, you know, the quarterback change. It's going to be an offense change. You know, this is going to be a different look offense than when Bryce Perkins was here. So you're, I mean, you definitely, there's definitely a counter argument to this saying that, hey, you know, this is going to be a whole scheme change, not just a quarterback change. So, yeah, I mean, if you go back a year from now, I think this would have been a huge advantage for UVA, you know, saying you have Bryce Perkins, you know, pretty much the same offense coming back. But, yeah, no, I mean, I think you raised a really good point. Um, what do you think about that, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to definitely have to lean on the, the run game a lot more this year, just with the uncertainty at quarterback. I think we bring some good talent back at the running back position, but, our I mean, leading leading touchdown rusher comes back this year. That's really important. <laughs> so, Thank you, Dustin. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's that's huge, Dustin. Great, great point. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I mean, we we were basically non-existent running the ball this year, except for for Bryce, who obviously had a lot of success running the ball. But I mean, that's just going to have to be a, a point of emphasis, and it probably will be. I think last year because they didn't have to. Uh, we had talented receivers and we had a, a stud at quarterback where, um, I mean, maybe Brendan Armstrong is a stud at quarterback. We we don't we won't know for a couple months, but I think just giving a couple guys a, a good amount of reps early on um, will will do a lot for their confidence. I mean, it's kind of tough because we faced some some pretty good teams early on this year. So maybe we won't have uh, much success early on and we will have it later, but. Uh, I think that's going to be uh, one of the big adjustments uh, this team's going to see this year. 
But you know, like you're talking about teams that we're going to face early on. Georgia, uh, especially the first first game that we're going to hopefully play, is also coming with a new quarterback and probably a new system. You know, they lost a lot of talent from that offense. Now they're still going to have a lot of studs coming in, um, but they've got a new quarterback who is largely untested on the big stage. So I think that's going to be interesting seeing how Georgia comes out versus how we come out, especially at the quarterback position. Yeah, yeah what, I what, mean, are guys, what are you guys' thoughts on him? I, I wasn't super impressed with him at Wake. I mean, this will probably come back as – a, a freezing cold take later on if he lights us up, but I, I just wasn't I wasn't super impressed with him at Wake. I think he's getting a lot of uh, a lot of praise right now because he's playing on the big stage for a top five, top ten program in Georgia. But I don't know. I just I think he's a really good quarterback, but uh, I think it's a downgrade overall for for the quarterback position for Georgia. Well, sure. I mean, yeah. they, they lose a three year starter. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you look at his numbers with and without uh, Sage Surratt, their best receiver at Wake Forest, and it's startling. You know, Jamie Newman was really good when he had his best weapon on the field, but when he wasn't on the field, those numbers went way, way down in the second half of the season. So, I mean, you're right, though, Andrew. I mean, he's getting a lot of hype, and, you know, he's on these top five quarterback lists in college football. No, he's not going to be on this top five quarterback list if he wasn't playing for Georgia. And, you know, this goes back to this whole practice thing. Georgia is not only installing a new quarterback, they're installing a new system. You know, this is going to be more of a pass-heavy Georgia than we've seen, you know, in these past couple of years. The days of Georgia lining up with the Todd Gurley, you know, those type of backs, Chubb, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's going to be the case this year. It's going to look a little bit different. So you're saying, hey, take a quarterback from the ACC, you know, on a very average ACC team in Wake Forest, put him in Georgia, put him on a top-five team that's putting in a new system – you know, this is going to be interesting looking at how UVA, you know, having time to, at least over the past couple of years with this system, to really game plan for this. And I mean, the blitzes this defensive staff brings are some of the best in the country as far as design goes. So, yeah, I mean, going back to the whole practice thing, I think this is really interesting matchup. You know, if you're saying this season starts on time, but under limited practice, you know, I think it's really interesting what could happen there. Sounds like you're predicting a UVA win. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> uh, I won't go that far. Well, the but other I could see Jamie Newman having a rough first half. I could see that. Well, the other thing that he's got going for him is that he's going to have better receivers, uh, except for uh, Surratt. He was incredible for Wake, but he's going to have a much better offensive line. I mean, Georgia's got probably one of the most consistent offensive line units in the country. Um, you know, right up there with like Notre Dame and and Michigan and Alabama, and so you're looking at a a guy who's going to have probably all five and four stars on the offensive line in front of him, giving him time, throwing to some great receivers as well, Um, and that that goes back to the whole practice thing, you know, how much is he going to have to practice with that offensive line, how much is he going to have to practice with those receivers. Now, luckily for us, Brennan Armstrong has been in our system, knows the system, knows the playbook, and he's been with the guys that he's going to be throwing to uh, the whole time too, and you know mostly. So I think you know I think it goes kind of both ways. It's good to have good coaching in this kind of situation. I think that our coaches are uniquely uh, situated to have a really successful time this off season, and also with limited practice. 
But I also think it, it has to do with players and personnel and how how long they've been there. So like more experienced teams are going to come out hot in you know 2020 in fall of 2020 because they just have played together before. They know what they're doing. Uh, like a team like Clemson is going to be really good. At, like probably more so than usual because Trevor Lawrence is coming back and he's able to to just lead that offense again. So I think it's going to be an interesting way to look at sports this upcoming year when you've got you know a lot of teams who haven't had a lot of practice together. And I actually want to bring this back, Dustin, since you raised Brennan Armstrong. You know, a topic we haven't talked about on the Guys and Guys podcast here is uh, Keaton Thompson, the new transfer quarterback from Mississippi State. And Keaton Thompson was one of the top quarterback recruits in the country. He was mm-hmm. a four-star. He was a guy that UVA actually looked at a little bit coming out of high school as well. And he's coming into this quarterback room. I'm excited about him. Like, I've seen his highlights. I've seen his game against Louisville. I've seen his game uh, against, I think it was against Austin P. So a little bit of lesser competition. But he's clearly got talent. So, you know, we come into... Uh, a season probably with less practice than usual. How are we feeling about this? You know, before, you know, I would have said maybe there's a chance that Thompson could challenge Armstrong for the job if there was a full set of practice. But, you know, at the same time, I'm really high on Brendan Armstrong. I think Armstrong would probably win the job outright, whether or not there was a full training camp or not, just looking at their games. But I'm curious what y'all think of that and, you know, just this addition in general at quarterback. I think it's a tough situation because you're looking at a guy in Armstrong who, you know, has been with the program for a while, has really risen, so shown a lot of um a lot of good stuff in limited minutes, you know, behind Perkins, especially when Perkins would get hurt in the middle of a game, Armstrong would come in um and you know, you can look to that Georgia Tech game a couple of years ago um where he had a touchdown drive and, you know, it was not he didn't do all the work, but he was able to lead that. So I, I'm excited to see him. But also, you know, you always want the best for your team. So I mean, I think competition is good, and it's good to see what this guy can bring. Although ultimately, I think that with the pandemic, I think that Armstrong is going to win this job pretty easy, just because you know he's not going to have time to learn the playbook or anything. Yeah, I think last off season uh, there was a ton of talk from Bronco that uh, he was going to be using um, Armstrong a lot more than he ended up using him during the year. And I think this is a case where we'll actually see some, maybe two quarterback sets or depending on what the defense is giving us, I think you could kind of swap one for the other uh, based on matchups. So uh, I think, I think you'll get a a good glimpse of Thompson, even if he isn't, uh, even if he isn't the starter. Andrew, I want to ask: Do you do you remember the last time UVA used a dual quarterback system? Um, probably. I'm not going to guess. So, uh, just just enlighten me. It was terrible. It was, re- it was 2016. It was really oh, bad. Oh yeah, okay. It was really yeah, bad. That game's kind. Of, that game's. Kind uh, of I remember locked. that game. <laughs> I really... guess I'm not trying to say that like uh, exactly like that, but I'm saying uh, if I don't know, I think for I don't know third down plays third and three maybe use him in a option type format i, I don't know um no i, I get what you're saying kind of how florida switches trask and the other guy yeah like, situations yeah you know it's interesting with thompson because thompson 
I think he's straight line fast. I don't think he's super elusive. You know, I think Bryce was probably more elusive than he was. I think Brennan might be more elusive than he is, although Brennan doesn't have that top line speed. Um, but my big thing is you just look at the throwing motions. You just look at the mechanics. Armstrong is so smooth. And I think we're just going to be really, really happy with the way the ball's coming out of his hands. Um, and when you look at Thompson, it's a bit of a long release. I think, you know, it's, if someone like Thompson had been with Jamie Beck or uh, uh, Jason Beck for, you know, several years, like Brennan Armstrong has, you know, I think his game would improve tremendously. I think his game is going to improve tremendously over these next two years in our system. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that just was really hurt by a lot of coaching changes at Mississippi State. This latest one this year with Mike Leach being the reason he's really transferring. Yeah, that's tough. But I'm excited to see what he can do. And, you know, hopefully hopefully there's a spot for him, you know, somewhere. And I, I'm sure the coaching staff will find it if there is that spot for him. Uh, with that, it, are there any last words on football before we move on to the favorite of mine, basketball? One, one last thought. I just want to throw out there that I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the social media presence that the entire coaching staff has kind of uh, – developed or implemented over the past couple months yes. uh, i think it i don't know i think it excites all the players even current players uh and prospects just to see how how excited the coaching staff is uh when they land a commitment um i don't know i just i think having a good social media presence is is huge especially uh in this environment where where you can't really i don't know visit a campus or, or see a coach in person i just think that's uh I don't know. I think it's it's giving a, a nice edge uh, for recruiting. Oh, I totally agree. I, I I've mentioned this before on this podcast where I I love what they're doing in terms of social media. I think it's a really it's a really smart strategy to to get everyone on board, and it's really easy to tell when we're going to get a recruit. So it's like great for content. So I love it. I think so much of it too just goes back to trying to rebuild this. Virginia football culture and you know these past couple of years with Bronco you've seen more and more fans in the stadium each time you've seen more fan engagements on message board and on Twitter each year you know the conversations people have on Twitter and on message boards right now in the offseason talking about depth charts and this guy transferring or this battle for the middle linebacker spot you know is it can be Rob Snyder Nick Jack and these are conversations that no one had a few years ago and seeing this engagement out of the coaches I think really is important to try to rebuild this football culture and hopefully getting it somewhere that can compete with some of the better schools in the ACC in that regard something just uh I, I really like what you said Rob is something just came to my mind um it has to do with Bronco and kind of a recent you know piece that came out about him or a piece of news was that he doesn't plan on being at another school like UVA is going to be the school that he retires from. Um, I don't know if y'all read about that. Yeah, no, I mean, it was a great Q and a piece. It was out of um, a Utah newspaper, I think. But yeah, mm -hmm. no, I thought that was really interesting too. Cause I mean, he basically said, I'm not a career coach, you know, I'm not going to coach until I'm 70 Broncos in his, I think mid fifties right now. Um, but he's also saying, I'm not going to take another job. So, I mean, I don't anticipate Broncos 
Bronco stepping down anytime soon. But it's kind of interesting to think, you know, he's not going to be a Frank Beamer. He's not going to be there until, you know, he can't coach anymore. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely interesting. And it obviously raises a lot of questions for, you know, if Bronco, you know, if we're still being successful, you know, five, ten years from now, will Bronco still be the coach? I don't know. But I think it's really interesting. And I think that's the type. I mean, it's honestly exactly the type of people UVA looks to hire within the athletic department. I mean, Tony Bennett, I'm sure, will be coaching a long time because he's so passionate about the game. Um, and not to say Bronco isn't, but, you know, they're the type of people that really value, you know, individuals and players and team over winning at all costs. So I thought it was a really good example of kind of the type of coaches UBA. Yeah, it, it just it just got me thinking because I'm wondering if he's if you see him grooming any particular coach to take over when he steps down, because it it, it was very clear that it wasn't. It's not imminent, but it's definitely not too far away that he retires. You know, whether it's in five or ten or fifteen years, um, you know, he he's going to retire at some point, probably before he could continue coaching. You know, so I'm wondering if if y'all have seen or if you could think of any current member of the staff who he who you'd like to see roaming the sidelines for a little bit longer. Well, I mean, I will say if we're talking, you know, 10 more years, I mean, Bronco was the coach at UVA for almost 15 years, which means he was pretty successful during that time if you stick around that long. So hopefully maybe that's a problem, you know, that we'll be lucky to have if it comes up. But I mean, as far as other coaches, it's so hard to say because his staff is pretty young, but especially on the defensive side, you know, Papinga and Hal split defensive coordinator duties. Both of them are, um, you know, obvious candidates. Papinga is a little bit more in the media eye than Hal is. You know, Papinga is the one who does the interviews uh, for the media every week during the football season. So he's a little bit more public facing. Offensively, you know, I think we're all expecting Anai to step down, you know, at some point over the next couple of years. And Jason Beck is just, you know, such a great quarterback coach that I would assume he'd take offensive coordinator duties. I'd assume he's a guy Bronco really wants to keep around. But, you know, all these guys, it's so unique because this staff is so well connected to each other. You know, most of them came over from BYU to here. Um, and you think about guys potentially wanting to get, you know, coordinator duties or head coaching duties at some point, you know, in a normal staff. I think that's 100% the case here. I really don't know. I don't have a great feel for it. So I don't know. What do you think, Andrew? Uh, to be honest, I, I'm I'm not an expert on the subject. If, if we were talking basketball, I think I could name a couple guys who I think could step in nicely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think if we're if we're lucky and things work out, Bronco will be the coach at UVA for the next eight to ten years. And I mean, if that's the case, and if we're having that much success, likely some of these assistants might be getting I don't know upgrades the coaching coaching uh, elsewhere so i mean it's kind of hard to say but um yeah i mean i think i think a nice gone in the next couple of years just not because he takes i mean he just turned down hawaii right this past off season so i mean i think he he's probably looking to uh either stay here stay put for a few years or retire maybe um i don't know i i'm more of a an offensive uh guy so i'd probably prefer someone um uh, on the offense side to, to step up, but uh, I, I don't really have much to add. Uh, Dustin, hopefully you can uh, provide more value than I just did. 
Well, yeah, I, I like what you said about, you know, being offensive minded. And if you look back to our past three coaches, you know, Bronco, current, Mike London, former, and Al Groh, uh, also a former, all three of them were defensive minded coaches. So I think it's been a while since UVA's had an offensive minded coach. Um, I think that would be interesting. I think, I think Beck is a really, you know, great guy to lead. And as Rob's saying, he's done a great job with the quarterbacks. He's really engaging. Um, he's young. So I think that he would be, I think, you know, if, if Broncos grooming anyone is going to be Beck to kind of fill that role if, and when he, he leaves UVA, um, I think I just, I don't know. I thought it was an interesting thought exercise. Like who I, I would have said Vic Sohoto, um, but unfortunately he's with UC, USC right now. Um, he'll probably, it, it seems like he, he wants to stay on the West coast where his family is, but I would have said, I want him as my head coach. Like I would have taken him right now. He fires me up. <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's a beast. I think he's supposed to flip one of the top recruits, right? From Clemson. Yeah. They're working on it. They're they working got him on to decommit it. from Clemson. They did get him to decommit. At least. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he's a, he's you know, one, one last thing on that is, you know, we talk about offense versus defensive minded head coaches. I mean, you can also look at a guy like Nick Saban, you know, roots on the defensive side of the ball, but you look at the way they've innovated their offense over the years. I bring that up because yeah, Bronco Mendenhall, you know, his roots are on the defensive side of the ball, but, as far as, you know, bringing the spread offense goes, you know, an emphasis on scoring a lot of points, Bronco and the staff certainly have that. So I think I think the idea of having a defensive head coach and just by saying he's a defensive head coach, it means the offense kind of defaults into this power Stanford type offense. I think those days are kind of past us at this point. And I think, you know, it matters less now than it did maybe 10 years ago. You know, what side of the ball your offensive head coach comes from just because the way offenses have evolved you got to score points. And I think pretty much every coach in the country realizes that now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you definitely need a strong piece. I think that's really the only thing holding up uh, Oklahoma from winning a national championship is they've just been absolutely dominant on the offensive side of the ball and just haven't been able to stop anyone from scoring. So it just turns into a shootout that they, that they've lost over the past three or four years. So uh, I agree with that statement. And and with that, so, I think <laughs> talking about defense, let's move on to basketball, where defense is key. And you know, we we talked about this with football, but with limited practice and with limited probably, you know, other things. You know, we don't even know if students are going to be back at UVA next fall. How does this affect the UVA basketball team? Are is the UVA basketball team in a position to do really well, or do you think that this hurts them this limited practice time? I think basketball matters. The practice time matters less than in football. Uh, you know, I think you can generally play a basketball game with less, you know, you, there's not as many scripted plays or formations or anything like that. I would say, though, with less practice time, you know, saying it benefits the UVA football team, I'd say it probably hurts the UVA basketball team a little bit if that came up. You know, I'm hopeful there's, that basketball won't be affected by any of this, but you know, defensively, everyone talks about how long it takes to learn the pack line mm -hmm. and, you know, taking time for people to get comfortable and especially looking at the freshmen coming in. You know, I would say opposite from football, I'd say UVA, if there's limited practice time in basketball, maybe that's a slower start to the season than what we would have anticipated. You, you know, I, I have to disagree with you there because I think that, you know, they're talking about pack line and how to, how long it takes to learn it. But are, I'm predicting 
our starting lineup to not have any freshmen in it. And our starting lineup is going to be, it's going to have three seniors and a junior and or two juniors. So I'm, pre- I'm predicting uh, Kihei at the point guard, Thomas Wooltensai, or Tomas Wooltensai at the two, Cody at the three, uh, Hauser at the four, and Jay Huff at the five. That's my predicting starting lineup. So you've got two juniors and also uh, three seniors on that team. That is an experienced team. That's probably one of the most experienced teams that you uh, Tony Bennett's ever had at UVA, especially considering a starting lineup. And those guys know how to play the pack line defense. And so they're going to be asked to carry. And now you also look at the reserves that we have. Uh, you look at uh, McCoy, who knows the pack line. You look at someone like Kafaro, who is still learning the pack line. And then you start getting into the people who don't know it as well. Uh, you're talking about uh, Jabri Abdurrahim. You're talking about Carson McCorkle. You're talking about Reese Beekman. So I think it's interesting that you think that this hurts us instead of helps us because the people playing the most minutes have been there for much longer. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of you guys. I mean, I think Jabri's kind of, if he reaches his full potential this early, I mean, the sky's the limit for this team. I don't think he's going to start, uh, day one. I mean, I, Dustin, I think your starting lineup was probably pretty accurate. I think, uh, I think, um, I don't, I don't know about Cody starting. Uh, I think Casey might take the two spot and we'll put, uh, Tomas at the three, but I mean, you're, you're bringing back a ton of experience. And I think the thing that helps is Sam Hauser having that red shirt year where he spent, uh, a full year learning the defense, uh, with the strength and conditioning, um, in our strength and conditioning program. And he's really him and Jay Huff are going to take, uh, are going to have to contribute a lot of our scoring. Um, so, I mean, I think day one, I mean, we, we probably won't be as, as, uh, we won't reach our potential day one, which is, is how it should be. But uh, I mean, you probably look at, uh, Jabri being, he's not going to red shirt. I mean, I, I guess we all know if, if there is going to be uh, a red shirt, it's going to be Casey or uh, sorry, uh, Carson. Um, but I mean, I think Jabri will, will, will be a contributor. It just might take uh, until December for him to kind of pick up the defense and be able to uh, earn some playing time. But I mean, I think we've talked about this kind of off offline, but the, it's going to be interesting to see how Tony manages the minutes with, with so many players, um, like McCoy, like Kafaro, who have who've kind of been waiting uh, for their time. Um, and it's just interesting to see uh, what Tony does with the lineup. Not to mention Caden uh, Shedrick, who's going to be a freshman this year after his redshirt year last year. Um, you're, and you're right, there's a lot of minutes to... There's a lot of people who want a lot of minutes. Um, I think that... I think a good comparison to Jabari kind of right off the bat is got to be DeAndre. And if you look at DeAndre's redshirt freshman season, he really didn't you know, start to shine until like the middle of ACC play, so like January, February. And I think that, you know, it has a lot to do with the speed of the game, it has a lot to do with um him growing and him hunting his shot. Um 
I don't know if Jabri is more is more um, you know assertive than that. I don't know how how quickly he's going to pick up the defense, but I think we know that the defense is the first thing that you have to do in order to get playing time. So especially considering Beekman, um, who's probably going to back up Kihei for the point guard spot, and and uh, Jabri. I think that they're going to have to learn that defense pretty quickly and probably more on their own than some other people. But if what we've heard about them is true, they're both very talented and very smart basketball players. So hopefully they can pick it up faster than normal. Yeah, Dustin, I think you you brought up a good point. I mean, I think we could be using Jabri kind of like we used DeAndre during his, his red shirt uh, first year. Um, I mean, comes off the bench and, and it's more of a kind of a, a matchups just um, determination on, on his minutes. But I mean, I, I don't really think his game's as similar to DeAndre. When I think of him on the offensive end, I mean, maybe this, maybe you guys don't agree with this, but I see a lot of like Jason Tatum in terms of how he can create his <clears throat> own shot, get to the rim, uh, has really good finishing ability. I mean, I, I just see him as, just a dynamic scorer who's just super super smooth with the ball uh, and that's we, we i don't think we've really had uh, a player like that um i mean deandre uh it took a while for him to become the shooter that he's become i mean during his redshirt year in warm-ups i mean he I, he wasn't a terrific shooter you could tell but i, I think jabri is just so polished already uh it's just more of the defensive uh more on the defensive end that's going to determine whether or not he's going to get the minutes that his offense warrants. Yeah. Rob, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think going back to the original question, you know, I think your point makes a lot of sense to us. And as far as the experience coming along and coming back in the, uh, in the, uh, the starting lineup, but yeah, I mean, the freshman class is going to be interesting. And, you know, uh, from a point guard spot, you know, with Reese Beekman, we've seen freshmen come in, you know, Kihei of London in particular, and play a lot as freshmen and not necessarily struggle a lot defensively. But, you know, looking at Jabri, you know, Carson, you know, maybe he redshirts, maybe he doesn't, you know, just looking at them too. Yeah, I think it'll take a little bit of time to pick up. But, I mean, I think one thing we got to keep going back to as well that y'all brought up is there's just so, there's going to be so much lineup versatility. And, you know, looking at this roster, you know, there's not one player on here that I'm looking at and saying this guy really sh- can't play or shouldn't be on the floor or anything like that. And, you know, the guy who probably, you know, aside from Caden Chedrick, who redshirted, the guy who played the least last year and Justin McCoy, he's the guy that everyone's talking about as like a breakout type candidate. Now we've seen very little of his game. It's kind of tough to piece together, you know, what it's going to look like and how he can fit in. But, you know, he's a guy that people keep talking about too. So you know, there's it's just a really exciting roster to look at. And there's going to be a lot more offensive versatility in particular, you know, having a Sam Hauser, uh, you know, hopefully having a Thomas World attempts to eye a Casey Marcel who take uh, big next steps in year two in the system. So obviously, and plus now we have a second ball handler in receiving as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's just. It's really exciting lineup to look at, and I'm sure Tony Bennett, you know, is having fun figuring out how, uh, you know, he's going to piece all these people on the floor together. You can only put five of them out there. I want to talk about uh, Justin McCoy a little bit more because I, I like what you said about him as a breakout candidate, and how other people are talking about him too. Um, one thing that this team is kind of missing is a defensive and rebounding presence um, that we've had almost every year. 
uh, since Tony's been here. You look back to the original ones like Akil, Darian, um, you know, Braxton Key was incredible in that spot, but like a tough defensive minded player who does all the right things, uh, who, who like a glue guy, basically. Um, who is our glue guy on this team? Uh, do we have one? And if so, is it Justin McCoy? It, does he, is that the role that he fills out as, you know, come in and get rebounds and play lockdown defense like some of those other guys? Um, based on what we saw last year, you know, maybe. But once again, if you think back to like Isaiah, his freshman year, he also had kind of limited minutes and, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see how much Justin McCoy can progress and does he get those extra minutes this year just for his rebounding or just for his uh, defensive abilities? Yeah, I think the biggest question with him really is, you know, how much of a perimeter game does he have? Is he a guy that you know can threaten you, you know, from beyond the three-point arc, you know, in the way that Isaiah Wilkins really couldn't or is he going to be more of an elbow jumper type guy which Isaiah Wilkins was which you know not to say there's anything bad with that but you know if you can stretch the floor and spread the floor it's obviously better and creates more options so to me that's the biggest question with him because he did have some of that in his game in high school looking at his highlight tapes you know does it translate to the college level I guess we'll find out but if it does then obviously that's a huge asset for this team you know already adding a Sam Hauser I think Jay Huff's three-point attempts are going to increase this year you know Thomas was kind of finding his groove towards the end of the season. I think Casey will be dramatically improved from three. Um, you know, if there's another threat there on the floor, that could be huge. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't forget Kihei, who was very, very solid from three this year. Um, and not not surprisingly, but but just more, more consistent with what we're used to from a UVA point guard. Yeah, I think, I think McCoy is honestly like, I think we can use the term sneaky athletic to describe McCoy. I don't know if you I don't know if you saw the uh that video he put up where he challenged Jay Huff to do a, a dunk. Uh I think it, he posted it on Instagram. Uh I don't know. I, I think he's a he's a more athletic Isaiah Wilkins, uh, but I think he has that potential to stretch the floor. In terms of who our glue guy this year is gonna be, I mean, without saying like I, I don't think Kihei can be classified as a glue guy because we rely on him a lot on, on offense, but I think Casey Morsell, I just think he has a better chance to crack the rotation than McCoy does. McCoy's going to have, I mean, McCoy, his natural spot's the four, and we're going to have Hauser and, and Huff getting just a ton of minutes in the front court. And Morsell had, was playing like 20 minutes a game uh, in some cases because of his defensive ability and just because, I mean, the, the, guards, the guard spot was kind of just, uh, I don't know, no one really solidified that that spot as a, as a starter. So I, I think Morcel can can really earn a lot of minutes if he's just able to be a little bit more consistent on the offensive end, and and I think he will be. I mean, he was a he was a really good scorer in high school. Um, so I don't think I think it was more of a confidence thing than than a talent thing. So I think he'll be able to. Uh, he's not going to be a, a twelve plus point per game scorer, but he can probably give us seven or eight points a game and play lockdown defense on a team's best guard. Uh, and that's why I'm. That's why I'm still really, really bullish on on Marcel. Yeah, he's you know he, he was playing really good defense at the end of the year, but he's just got to get his shooting percentages up um, from all over the floor, not just not just from three. Um, I think you know when talking about next year, I think looking at a starting five, 
is really what everyone's like trying to guess right now. So I already said mine. I said it was going to be Kihei. Um, Kihei, I said Tomas, I said Cody, I said Sam, and I said Jay. Uh, I want to hear you guys' starting five. So Rob, why don't you start? Who is your starting five going to be? Is it different or is it the same? I'll say different. I'll swap Casey Morsell for Cody Statman. I think Casey starts out the season at least in the starting five. But, I mean, for me, the biggest thing here is, you know, we love how much Tony Bennett loves that stretch four. Mm-hmm. And is Sam Hauser, you know, where does he fit in with the three and with the four spot? And, you know, we're going back, we've run last mover blocker the past few years. You know, Hauser's not a Kyle guy. He's not going to be rolling off screens, you know, catching and shooting, you know, the way Kyle guy was. But he's also, you know, and the mover blocker said, he's not really a true, you know, pick you go back set another pick type of four so you know i'm really interested to see how they use sam hauser and i think how sam hauser you know evolves into this lineup you know is he on out more as a three is he out more of a stretch four you know how they choose to utilize him i think as the season go on goes on will be the biggest uh determination of the starting lineup but going back to the question same as you dustin but i'll swap casey for cody what do you think andrew yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you, Rob. I think, obviously, Kihei, Jay, and Sam are locks to start. I think Tomas is effectively a lock to start, just given his ability to run off screens. And, and Tony really likes to kind of create that offensive action through um, that type of that type of set. But I don't. I, I think Sam Hauser fits really well because Sam setting a screen and just, like, kind of doing maybe like a pick and pop or a roll situation where he's, where he can get some nice looks. Um, I do think Casey uh, will be the the starter at the two to start the year just because of his defensive ability. I mean, I don't, I think Tony's probably more high on Cody than the fans are. I think he sees a lot in, in Cody. I mean, Cody's six, seven uh, athletic can shoot the ball in practice kind of has a weird release, quick release though. Um, hasn't really shown that offensive ability in games. So I, I think there's just a few players around the guard spot that could have a breakout year. Um, and that will, I mean, Tony's not afraid to change the starting lineup as the year goes on. Uh, he'll, he'll experiment with different lineups, but I think just to start the season, uh, Casey will get the nod. All right. Interesting. I, I think it's interesting that you're putting uh, Tomas at the three, I feel like he's kind of out of position there. So I feel like he and Casey kind of share that two spot. But I guess if you're talking about like modern basketball, you're not really looking at a position like the three or the two. You're just kind of putting the the best five guys out there. Um, Okay, cool. I I enjoyed that exercise. It'll be interesting to see. And I I agree with what Rob was saying that depending on how, how Sam Hauser plays and, you know, what his strengths are, you know, as the season progresses, I think that's going to really determine what the lineup is, especially because this is the only year we have Sam Hauser. I think um, Tony's going to run a lot of offense through him or around him based on his strengths. And as you were saying, he's not really a big screener and we don't really want him screening if we want the ball in his hands a lot. So does that mean more minutes for Justin McCoy, who is probably more able to set those screens? Does Kafaro get more run because because he's able to set really big screens at the top? 
you know, do we go ultra big with Jay at the four, Kafar with the five, and Sam at the three? That would be interesting, I think, and really crazy. And I, I don't know. I'm just excited to see, you know, what, what this team can do and what the lineups are going to look like. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if, if Hauser needs to play at the three for whatever reason, I, I think it would be McCoy instead of Kafaro starting. I think Huff just needs to be at the five. Um, I, I don't know. I just I don't see Huff and Kafaro playing uh, too much at the same time. But Twin Towers mode. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it is interesting, though, because if Hauser needs to play at the three, then that really opens up a ton of minutes for McCoy and potentially Jabri. Um, or Shedrick. So, or she, yeah, I don't know. I, I think he's a year or two away still, but uh, I am excited about him long term. Wonderful. Um, with that, I think we're done talking about basketball and football, how COVID is affecting these two sports, especially and and what practices are going to look like with, uh, with these sports and how that affects our teams. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we're fought, we're glad we were able to finally squeeze you in to our busy schedule. Um, we're going to give you the last, we're going to give you the last word and, uh, and then we'll let you go. Yeah, so I, I still think there's there's going to be a lot of confusion uh, for your audience who, who thinks that I was begging uh, to be on the, the podcast. <laughs> it was tough to reach you guys. I didn't know you guys had an automated reply system uh, for <laughs> outside of the, the nine to five hours during the weekday. So it was really tough to reach you guys, but uh, big fan of, of what you guys are doing. Uh, there's always uh, always good content coming from you guys. Uh, I don't know. I, uh, I, I still need to think about how I rank you guys in the grand scheme of a UVA sports podcast, but I think I think this is still a top two uh, UVA sports podcast. Um, so you guys, you guys are doing 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 the right things. We, uh, we are known as I, the I, second best UVA sports podcast. <laughs> that is our moniker. <laughs> which is uh, which is the best one in your eyes? Oh, I don't know. I, th- I think I think it's different for everyone. Yeah, you know, there's, there's person to person. There's a lot out there. Second. We're not gonna name we're not gonna name any specifics, but we are second in almost everyone's poll. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean I would rather be consistently second than kind of fluctuate between one and three or one and four. I mean consistency is what you go for, so I don't know. I don't think I don't think I'd like being national runner up like three years in a row. I think I'd rather win one and then lose in the final four a couple times. That's just Yeah, well that's just how I feel. No, I mean, that's fair, and I think uh, I think there's a ton of room for you guys to grow. I mean, I think uh, this is still in its uh, infant stage, and thank uh, you. I think I think uh, there's uh, there's a lot of potential here, and uh, we're all. I'm always here when you need to spitball some ideas, and uh, we'll make sure you guys are consistently number one uh, whenever we can uh, start uh, actually playing sports and and watching sports again. Wonderful. Thanks, thanks, Andrew. Appreciate you. All right, guys. And uh, with that. We are done for today. So thanks so much for listening. This has been the Guys and Ties podcast with special guest Andrew Benvenuto. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Guys and Ties Pod. Make sure to follow us on uh, iTunes and Spotify if you want to keep listening to us. Go check out Rob. Uh, he's got our Snapchat and Instagram running. I don't know how much bonus content's out right now. Uh, we're kind of quarantined, unfortunately. So that's why we're still doing it by phone. And make sure to check out Armchair Media. A lot of great podcasts coming out as sports keep trickling out. Uh, More content will come. And we will see you guys next time. Go Hoos. Go Hoos.